Hello, everybody from around the world. My name's Grant Buzevelt. I'm the moderator of this webinar, which has been co-organized by the Gender Diversity Network, SG for She of Société Générale and Valley RFC, which is a sports club in Hong Kong and a partner of Société Générale since 2014. We are entering our seventh season of collaboration, partnership, sponsorship with SG, and it's fantastic to be together. Uh, on the occasion of the SG Women's Fast 15s, that's a rugby and hockey tournament that will take place on this coming Saturday, 31st of October. It's going to be hosted by Valley with all women's clubs and teams invited. We'd like to take this opportunity to host this webinar to advocate women empowerment along with rugby, hockey and sports in general. So thank you very much for joining us. We're here for 60 minutes. Uh, I am the Chief Operations Officer of Valley Rugby Football Club. We're a sports club in Hong Kong. Uh, Valley was created in 1975 from very small beginnings and is now one of the largest, friendliest and most successful sports clubs in Hong Kong. We have about 1,500 members, 1,500. We play rugby, hockey and netball from ages four right up to about 64 would be one of our oldest athletes. And around 50% of our membership as women and girls. I also have three daughters aged one, eight and nine. Two of them play rugby as well as many other sports. And it's great to be with you and I'm privileged to be hosting this event today. Uh, we've got some great guests with us, but first of all, if you'd like to just click on the chat button uh, and put in a comment, uh, generally it's pretty obvious what sports is uh, on the surface, it's some form of activity, maybe running around, chasing someone or something, maybe hitting something or catching something. But beneath that, beneath the surface level, there's a whole lot more to sport. So why don't you, uh, in the chat box, write one or two words, what does sports mean to you? Just pop it in the chat box down there and we'll share some of them out before we get going with our guests. So we've got well-being. That's from Jerome, exactly. It's health, team spirit, and it's energy. Someone saying, uh, Nina saying it's health, fun, and social. It's a way, it's energy, it's positive, says Zavina. And it's freedom, it's being alive, says Sai. I like that. Freedom and being alive. Pete Laverick says it's mates. Hello, Pete. Uh, Sock Jen employee there that I know quite well. Joanne Yip says it's solidarity. Mohammed Rafiq says relieving stress, discipline, movement, staying fit, energy. So a common theme there. Um, and we're going to pick on some of those themes throughout today. But first of all, let's meet our panel. They've made time for today and they prepared for today. Um, and it's wonderful having them with us. So first of all, I'm going to ask our three guests to introduce themselves briefly. Where are you from? What you do professionally? What you do for sport and activity? Uh, anything else that's relevant? And then we'll talk a little bit about your sporting journey. So we'll start with uh, a face that's probably familiar to a lot of you on here. It's Gail Olivier. Gail, hello and welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, Grant, and I'm very happy to be with you today. Uh, I'm extremely impressed by the long-term partnership between Société Générale and the Valley Club and what you are doing. So thank you for what you are doing. It's very important. Uh, as you can tell from my accent, I'm French, but I've spent uh, uh, more than 10 years of my professional life in Asia, across uh, Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong as a base, but uh, looking at businesses all over Asia from India to Australia, uh, covering uh, China, uh, Northern Asia, Southeast Asia. And I love Asia for the vibrance that it provides to me every day. So today I'm the CEO for Société Générale in Asia Pacific. I've joined Société Générale earlier this year in January Société Générale is a new group for me. Uh, all my life uh, experience uh, at work has been mostly in uh, financial services, uh, initially at AXA, which is an asset management and insurance company. Then I did some uh, startup business uh, as a business angel, and I joined now Société Générale. What you can see here is uh, 
the photo of an event we did earlier this year uh, in the middle, where we did an Everest challenge, where we tried to do as well as what Ada is going to go further into, climbing the Everest as a team um, across a, a street in Hong Kong in order to raise funds for Valley Club. And which was a lot of fun, extremely hot, but uh, extremely nice to do uh, as a team with uh, other sustainable friends. And on the top, you can see uh, you can see me hiking in Hong Kong or uh, doing some uh, yoga pose uh, in Indonesia. Uh, as far as I remember, I've always been in sports. Sport is part of my life, has been for uh, many, many years from early age. I was initially very much into tennis and then progressively went into different kinds of sports. I'm mostly now into uh, uh, running from ultra trail to uh, uh, just a practice running. I do yoga and uh, muscle building uh, on a regular, uh, regular manner. And my uh, discipline is to do uh, at least one hour a day of sport. Uh, and I try to squeeze that in in my schedule. And so far, I've been reasonably successful. Uh, in addition to this, I'm also a board member at uh, Danone, which is a food and nutrition company. And I'm uh, supporting some startups in their development as well. And part of my life is also very importantly dedicated to being me as a person. So I'm a happy wife and a mother of four sons who are aged uh, 16, 17, 18, and 20 years old. Hey, then just, just quickly tell us then what is um, ultra running and... Um, What's the longest sort of run or event or mm. race or distance you've ever done uh, in one sort of go? So usually what people call ultra running is a distance which are above 100 kilometers. So the longest I ran was 120 kilometers. But actually, uh, when you start to run those distance, it's less about the kilometers than the positive climbing or negative climbing that you go through. And so mine was a 6,000 positive and negative climbing. So all in all, it took me 25 hours to go sweet without sleeping. Wow, that's, that's very impressive indeed. You're right, the mental side. Um, that's where the toughness, the resilience comes from. Uh, thanks, Gail. That's nice uh, for the little intro there. So now we're going to go to Kim. Kim, tell us about yourself, your background, what you do for employment, your relationship with sports. Um, hi, Grant, and thank you very much to Valley and to Societe Generale for, for uh, putting on the seminar. Um, I am uh, from New Zealand originally, uh, but I've been living here in Hong Kong for 20 years now. Uh, actually, probably unlike Gail, um, I wasn't particularly sporting as a child. I was a very academic person. Um, so I picked up rugby at the tender age of 29 when I moved here. Um, and I started playing for Valley Rugby Football Club in 2001. So um, I came here as a lawyer and I'm here, I'm now an employment partner uh, at Tanda DeWitt in Hong Kong. Uh, my, I'd stayed with Valley uh, so since 2001, uh, played uh, for, uh, for a number of years. Um, I took on the role of chairwoman for about three years. Uh, and then I took on a role as director of women's rugby um, for about three years uh, uh, in 2016, I think. So, uh, so I have been involved uh, in pretty much predominantly the rugby side of sport here in Hong Kong. So um, outside of rugby, because I am technically what we call retired in rugby, which means you will appear for social rugby and otherwise be on supporting on the sidelines a lot. Um, Aside from that, it's very much just generally trying to get involved and, and to stay fit in some form. Um, I am the mother of a six-year-old son. And at the moment, I confess that most of my sport really revolves around him uh, in the sense that, you know, he has a swimming lesson and I try and do swimming when he has a swimming lesson. We went to mini rugby the other day and it, it is in Sai Kung Stadium. So I am then trying to do a little bit of walking and running around the around the pitch while he has his mini rugby session. So, um, so now sport sport now I find as a as a single parent of a of a six year old boy is quite a different balance to what it was when I was single, um, 
you know, sort of some six years ago. So. Yeah. All right. And and in, in the photos there, we see on screen um, at the top one there, that's you yeah. representing Hong Kong. What was it like to represent Hong Kong in rugby and, and where did you go? You went oh, on she, yeah. So I represented, sorry, I did represent Hong Kong uh, relatively briefly. Um, and But it was an amazing experience, actually, um, because one, I had never considered ever that I would represent a national team in any sport, let alone rugby, which is a sport I've always loved, um, but had only really had the opportunity to play when I came to Hong Kong. Uh, when I was 10, I remember uh, I grew up in the Waikato in Hamilton in New Zealand, and I remember asking our intermediate coach if I could play rugby, and he told me girls could not play. So, um, so it had not, not even considered uh, that I would ever play rugby for a national team, certainly not Hong Kong. And, but it was amazing. We went to uh, South Korea uh, in a sort of lead up uh, sort of semi national tournament. Um, but we ended up going to Kazakhstan for a week for the Asian women's rugby 15s. Um, in the same week that I became a partner of Tanda DeWitt, actually. So I quite liked it because I was on a bus being trekked so across to Taraz in Kazakhstan. And meanwhile, there's marketing announcements going on in Hong Kong about my elevation to partnership. Um, and, uh, but it was an amazing week, you know, just, I'd never thought I'd go to Kazakhstan, uh, which is a real place for those people who follow Borat. It's actually a real country. It's an amazing country. Um, and, but I didn't really get to see a lot of it outside of a rugby pitch and on a bus. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, rugby has taken me to amazing places. And I think as well, in the national women's rugby team in Hong Kong, it's amazing because most of the players, the majority of the players are actually local, sorry, local um, local Hong Kong players. Uh, and so you just had a much better opportunity to interact with uh, with people of all different backgrounds. And I think that was an amazing thing as well. So. Thanks. Thanks for that, Kim. We're going to introduce Ada now. Ada, can you please introduce yeah. yourself, um, yeah. your, your background in sports, your achievements and, and what you do in, in a field of employment? Um, I was born in China, but basically I grew up in uh, an educator in Hong Kong. And I have been teacher for uh, 17 years uh, since I was graduated from uni. But currently, I work as a leadership consultant for uh, management training, but I find no difference as a teacher. Actually, I still are uh, working with a group of boys and girls. And um, when I was a kid, just like Gail, I, 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 I played sports since I was born. Uh, so when, when I was a kid, my family can't really support me to have different learning experience because I grew up in a very basic family. So what can I do is I choose to play different kinds of sports outdoors because in uh, uh, Hong Kong school, all these sports and outdoors are free of charge. So I play different kinds of sports. Uh, like track running, trail running, basketball, netball, tennis, whatever the school can offer me. So uh, uh, for the uh, last uh, 10 years, I think I, why I climb Everest, everyone is curious why being a Hong Kong teacher and you go to climb Everest because being a teacher used to be very occupied and very busy. But... Uh, I think the, the, the reason I climb up is just because I want to encourage my students to expect, expect high and achieve high. And I just want to, um, to do something with my students and to encourage them whenever you're being uh, 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 stopped by challenge or difficulties, how you can face it and uh, uh, face the challenge. But I have no idea whether I can achieve or not. But anyway, I want to, to, to uh, go through all these difficulties with my students. So for the last 10 years, I spent most of my time on uh, training, uh, mountaineering, just like Gail. I run a lot of outer trail. But the reason why I do outer trail, because I want to um, build our very strong body so I can uh, successfully submit efforts. And 
So in I submit efforts in 2017, and then after, but actually before um before 2017, we formed a team, a Chinese woman team, but we failed um in our first attempt 2014 because of avalanche, and then 2015 because of the earthquake. So we have to abandon the the the. Expedition. So I climbed personally in 2017, but I I I just tell myself, Hey Ada, actually plan to lead the Chinese woman team to Everest, but this time you only climb on yourself. So after 2017, I formed uh uh a, the first Chinese woman team. To climb Everest, but it take us、uh, three years to to summit. So 2019,、uh, as the first Chinese woman team to climb、uh, Everest. But、uh, I think、uh, what I really love,、uh, I always ask myself what I really love. I think it's ultra trail running.、Uh, just like Gail, I have done、uh, UTMB as.、Uh, 171 kilometer, and then without sleep for almost two nights, and then、uh, more than 10,000 meter uh, um, elevation. But yeah, youngsters they love challenge. So in order to grow up to to help them, so I just tell myself I need to challenge myself, and then as uh, uh, show them by action. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that's pretty amazing, isn't it?、Um, climbing、yeah. Everest, and then for many people that would be the end of it.、Uh, that's sort of the benchmark, really, isn't it? Like, oh, it's we've got to climb Everest. But two years later, you 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 had a bigger challenge to climb again to lead that Chinese women's team. A, amazing story, Ada. Thank you.、Uh, let's move along then into our first theme for today.、Uh, we're going to talk about competitiveness, confidence, and self improvement. So grit and resilience are two words that apply to sport and life. I want to ask each of you now:、uh, How has sports-based competitiveness empowered you and helped you cope and thrive in your jobs or workplaces, specifically when they are often geared with an innate inequality towards women? So, I'm going to start, Gail, with you. Thank you, Grant. I think for me, I have discovered through sport that I could actually push further the boundaries of what I felt I could achieve, and、uh, I started、uh, with putting a first challenge to myself, let's say marathon running, which was really out of my league in my own mind. Mental, mentally, it was not really what I thought I could achieve, and I did it, and then progressively I extended. The kilometers and the distance, and I could still do it. And progressively, just by、uh, opening myself towards what I could in reality achieve, versus being stuck by what I was telling myself that I could not achieve, was a big mental changer, mindset changer into my life. It came progressively, almost as a natural way. But it developed my self、uh, confidence in what I feel now I can achieve. So every challenge that I see now ahead of me, I see it as:、uh, is it a, a mental blockage that I have, or is it a, a real、uh, blockage that is in front of me? And most often,、uh, it's a mental blockage. And that's where I think sport can really help us, all of us, men and women, to go beyond what we feel we can achieve, move into unknown territories, and discover some strengths and some capacities that maybe we underleverage every day, and that actually we can、uh, develop and we can do much more than what we feel we can do. Yeah, absolutely.、Um... And Kim, how about you? How has、uh, sports-based competitiveness empowered you and helped you open thrive in, in your jobs and workplaces? I think what I found 
certainly coming into a team sport um, was that, you know, firstly, the sport is, is an incredible stress release. And I think that's a really important thing, particularly when you are, you know, working quite a, a difficult um, or demanding job. To the ability to go into a sporting environment uh, where, you know, you can only focus on the sport. You can't worry about the rest of the things that might be going on in your life and whether or not, you know, you've done things correctly or, or, or all the deadlines you've got. So it's, um, I think that, that helps just that stress release itself. On the grit and resilience side, I think what I found particularly with, with rugby is you don't have time to dwell on all of the mistakes you made in a game. You know, you go to tackle someone, you don't do it properly, you pass someone, you drop it. You know, you can't sit there and cry about it. You've got to just move on and that and go and support your player and go to the next thing and just continually try to do better, both in the game and the next game. You know, if you feel like you're not doing well in a particular aspect of your game, you go and talk to someone, you talk to different people about how you can improve. And I think that was a very important life lesson for me because as someone who'd always been academic I found and I th and I realized probably later in life that a lot of things had come very easy to me on that side and I had probably maybe avoided situations where I felt not as confident and not as strong but you know and I think possibly had I played team sport longer as a child that I might have just got that better resilience that you're going to make mistakes, but you just got to pick yourself up and move forward and learn from them and learn what you need to do um, to go forward and improve. And I think that that resilience that you get from playing, particularly, I think, a team sport um, where, yes, you're going to muck up, you're going to do things wrong, but you just try and do better next time. Yeah, and rugby specifically is a sport where, you know, getting up off the ground and dusting yourself off is a figurative term. But in rugby, yes. it's actual, it's a it's a reality and it happens to you 20 times a game. And you, yeah. you, you learn very quick that there's no time to lie on the ground. As you say, the game moves on. Um, and regardless of the result, there's all those little mini contests within a sport like rugby, a team sport, a contact yeah. sport. Um, I mean, you mentioned there, you know, resilience and grit, and I wanted to ask Ada because um, there's a tendency to feel that failure is bad, you know, in sports, in life. Um, but we all know that it's something that's it's it happens and it's part of life. Now, as part of your um, campaigns to climb Everest, you mentioned before you did fail twice, and they may have been out of your hands: earthquakes and uh, avalanches and things like that. Uh, nature definitely plays its part in your sports, but did you ever feel like giving up? You know, you, you, you those are big campaigns. They take a long time to prepare for a lot of investment uh, and you have teammates. How do you feel when those types of events happen and what do they teach you about the rest of your life outside of climbing? Yeah, actually it's not uh, only two times failure. I think from the time I start climbing, NS failure for the first time, all the mountain I failed. I think uh, for the last 10 years, I failed almost 20, 30 times. And what I can say, maybe only two success is uh, 2017 and 2019. But this teach me a very great lesson. And I, I uh, passed this um lesson to my student even for the work right now. I always tell my student, whenever you expect something high, you will be encountered with different kind of failure, uh, different kind of challenges, but only these failures and challenges are going to make you stronger. So in my workplace, Whenever we are encountered with challenges, and I just tell my 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 teammate, actually all those are going to push you to be stronger. So I didn't take uh right now I didn't take all those uh failure as failure. I just take it as a chance for me to uh to be stronger. And as long as you didn't give up, I think um. Just like uh, testing our grit and resilience, uh, as long as you didn't give up, you success. Thank you, Ada. So, just one more for you, Gail, on the subject uh, about you know failure and let's call it not winning. Um, you must have had you know instances across your career uh, where you've not won 
and had to sort of bounce back as well. How, how, do, you, how do you deal with those and how, what does sport taught you about that, that sort of resilience? Thank you. I think Eder did it, uh, took to it through, took through it very well. I think uh, in sports, there are multiple occurrences where you are not uh, successful, you fail, you don't achieve your race, uh, you don't succeed in uh, uh, getting to your personal record the way you want it, uh, you continue, you, you, you fail and you go back. And, uh, and I think the life is like this. Uh, there are times where you are very lucky and there are times where you are not so lucky. There are times you make mistakes and times where by making mistakes, you learn about yourself, you know, learn about others. Uh, the key is uh, the willingness to continue to move forward. And I think that goes maybe to a theme which uh, Kim touched on, on the managing the stress or many of the people in uh, in the, in the attendees mentioned about work-life balance and uh, releasing stress through, through sports. I think there is, uh, with, uh, there is a, an important factor for me in the daily lives, which is about the energy level that you have and how you, you are able to sustain your energy level. And that comes both to, for sports and for work. In sports, it's how you manage your training so that you're not exhausted and you don't get injured. At work, it's how you make sure that you come back to work uh, full of energy, even if you didn't achieve your objectives uh, the past month or the past year, even if you missed a, uh, a very important client meeting, even if you missed a deadline, how you can come back to work and have with your full energy and passion and make it work. And I think this uh, great resilience, tenacity, sports teaches you a lot on this. That's how I think you discover what really you like doing and how you rebuild your own level of energy through things that you like, uh, through your passions, through people that you enjoy being with, uh, because that's what life is about. And I think in the end, uh, we all have our own uh, lives uh, full of events and, uh, again, uh, lucky items or unlucky items. And the most important is uh, how you bounce back and how you go back into the game and make sure that you are an active member of your life. Thanks again, Gail. We're going to move on now to the aspect of stress. We've touched upon it a little bit already. Stress and then managing that work-life balance. And, you know, it seems to be difficult, seems overwhelming at times, but we know that sport can have a positive impact in this area. So let's start with you, Kim. You live a busy life. Uh, you're a mother. Uh, you've... Uh, you're a partner at a law firm. Lawyers work notoriously long hours. Um, how, how can you describe what impact sport and has had on your general well-being and stress levels? And just how important is it to to find balance between that life part of the equation um, and the work-life balance? I think like trying to find a work-life balance. Um, it is incredibly important because you only have one life um, and, you know, you have to make time to live it, you know, not just, you know, not just working hard and working hard is still important, but at the end of the day, you know, you want to look back and think, what did I do with my life? So, um, so I've already mentioned that for me, sport was a, a massive stress release. So, uh, you know, and, and it was a great way to get out of, out of thinking about work. I'm the type of person sometimes who wakes up at night thinking about some legal issue that I haven't been able to resolve. You can't do that when you're playing sport, you know, whatever you're doing, you know, you've got to go through it and focus. And I think that was a great, um, a great thing for me in sport. But as well, you know, for me, sport equally when I came to Hong Kong was also very much life in the sense of all of the people that I met whilst I was playing sport, you know, whether I played rugby, for a very brief time, I also played netball very badly. Um, but you just met these amazing people from all different walks of life. Um, and, you know, had I stayed just working in my law firm, then I would have met a much more limited group of people. Um, and I think, you know, for me very much, you know, playing sport in Hong Kong gave me my family in Hong Kong. And it gave me a life not just on the pitch, it gave me a life outside of the pitch. Um, you know, all the very, you know, all the many, many people that I met, you know, male and female, just amazing friends and family. 
Um, and, you know, and that's the thing that I look back on. So, and, you know, equally with my son now, I find that, you know, him playing sport is equally great. It's good for him to, to learn those lessons of grit and resilience because he's a single child at the moment. So he's, you know, a little bit spoilt um, and he needs to go out and play with the team and have other kids go, you know, come on, pick it up, you know, pick that ball up and do other things properly and, you know, and get told off for doing things. These are all important things that you, you need to learn in life. So, um, yeah, so I think, and I would actually say that I chose to join, one of the reasons I chose to join Tanner DeWitt here in Hong Kong, I came out to work for uh, one of the large uh, international law firms, which was, you know, an amazing place, also amazing people. Uh, but I very much chose a work-life balance. I had worked for a middle-sized law firm in the UK uh, for a short period of time. And I liked the, the concept of you actually managing to, to get home at eight o'clock rather than 10 or 12. Um, and I probably uh, also one of the factors was that I wanted to be able to go to training Tuesdays, Thursdays and have the weekend so that I could actually play. So I actively chose a law firm that had better working hours. Um, and whilst you still work, you know, very hard at, and, and longer hours at different times, I was better able to manage my time around that. Um, and they were, you know, very, and they've always actually been very, very understanding about my rugby commitments, whether it was playing or, you know, when I took up a governance role with the union. So, Yeah, good points, you know, about, you know, always remembering that we do have choices. And I, I guess, especially for younger you know, women in their careers that might seem like it's not possible. They've got to take what they can get um, and feel like they might not have as many choices. And we sort of, um, that kind of occurs a bit later in life where you have a little bit more luxury there, I guess. So I guess, Gail, you're going to agree that finding balance is important, but how is it done? How do you do it? You mentioned doing um, yoga. You mentioned committing to one hour of exercise each day. You're obviously CEO of Asia Pacific for, for SG. It's a, it's a massive role. So just how do you make all that work in your, in your daily, weekly schedule? Um, it has evolved uh, among the years, depending on the age of my kids. Uh, initially, I did not tell myself it was one hour per day. Uh, it was about when I had kids uh, very young, uh, less than uh, six years old. I had four kids uh, living abroad, far away from my parents and my parents-in-law. So no ability to have a buffer uh, to take the kids for the weekend and just relax with my husband. And I felt I had to do something to build a time into my daily life. And that's how I put the challenge of running a marathon to myself. I went through the training and I discovered that I could manage it whilst both managing my work and managing my, uh, my family life. And I felt, okay, now that I have uh, demonstrated to myself that I can build that time for sports, it will become my buffer and it will become my alert signal. And since that time, so over the past now, uh, uh, more than 10 years and so, that has been my routine. Uh, initially, it was like a, a weekly load I would put on myself. Did I do so many hours per sport, per sport during the week? Now my kids are older. They are teenagers. Uh, they don't need my day-to-day -day presence uh, at all times. They don't wake up at night. Uh, so it's, I can get organized differently. So that now my daily routine is I wake up at 6.30 every morning. I do one hour sport. Uh, I do a bit more during the weekend. There could be days where I cannot squeeze in the one hour in the morning because I finished a call with Paris at 2 a.m. and uh, I was tired. And, but then I need to compensate during the weekend. So I have my discipline for the week. I need to lock in uh, at least seven hours of sports. And, uh, and it's part both of my uh, discipline in life, but also part of what makes me feel good, uh, both in terms of my own energy level and also because I know I have this buffer in my day. So if I need to free one hour of my time to do something, to be more present for my kid, for my husband or for my teams, I know I have this one hour in my day. Mm. And so it's a kind of reassurance that I'm still in control of my life. I have this alert signal that my life is uh, uh, not well balanced if I cannot achieve these uh, seven hours per week. And it makes, me feel, it makes me feel good. So, and maybe the last positive I see is when I start my day with one hour of exercise, 
whatever the jet lag, whatever the tiredness, the fatigue I may have, I start my day, I'm all in good shape, I'm very active, very awake, and on for a good day. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of thinking about it. And just relating to stress there, I guess, you know, with, with a job as busy as your, your own and a lot of loose ends, uh, how would you feel if you couldn't fit that one hour in, in terms of like your stress levels, uh, if you're unable to get away? So I think it depends. Uh, if you if you put yourself into a race or a specific challenge or not. So when I when I trained for the my ultra trail, for instance, uh, being able to exercise was part of being able to take my challenge of the ultra trail, right? So then there is a stress which can come from not being able to exercise, and that you need to manage. So it's like you are in a sports competition, you want to win the rugby cup and you cannot exercise a few Saturdays or a few Sundays, you're not happy with yourself. That can generate a stress as well. And I think this stress, you need also to manage it because the idea is not to replace a, space, a stress at work with a stress for the sports. So you need to be aware of it, self-aware of it and manage it and accept that sometimes your body, your mind need to rest and you need to accept to listen to yourself because that's the best way also to... Uh, get back into the sport with an increased level of energy and with the passion that you need to go through the sports. So uh, I would say listen to yourself, um, uh, be aware of uh, your own level of fatigue, your own level of uh, energy. And from time to time, uh, if you need to squeeze, uh, to stop a, a specific training, do it, but then come back to it with more energy and more passion even after. Very good. Um, and just, just quickly, while we stay on the subject, if I could ask each three of you from three different countries, from New Zealand, from France, from, from Hong Kong, China, um, is there a cultural, shall we acknowledge that in some cultures, even now in 2020, that uh, women might feel or led to believe or led to feel a bit guilty uh, when it comes to balancing and prioritizing family, career, and their own personal time to find their happy place and do sports. Is that, is that something that each of you have felt or had to deal with or overcome? I'll start with Ada quickly. Um, I think for me, it didn't really happen on me, but it's my teammate because uh, for 2019, uh, for the first time I got five teammates, but they dropped out. Uh, uh, five of them, uh, four of them drop out because of the family responsibility. And for the Chinese society, they expect women to bear the taking care of the kids, uh, looking after the family. So I think for the voices around them, make them feel guilty. So after maybe a few months, uh, uh, we work on 2019 Everest expedition. But finally, they all tell me, hey, Ada, I have to give up because of the pressure. So I think for, for, for Chinese, uh, it's not that easy, but I didn't really find it in Hong Kong, at least for me. Yeah. Thank you. How about you, Kim? I don't, for me, no, because I'm, I'm a single parent. So I basically do what I can and can manage. So, and it's not really an issue. Um, and I guess sometimes it appears there is that expectation. I do have, uh, you know, there is a number of great examples within rugby, though, where we've got, um, you know, both husband and wife are both actively involved in sport and they manage and do balance their commitments. So I think we've got um, Dean McLaughlin and his wife, um, Caitlin, you know, she's involved in Valley on the netball side and he's chairman of Kowloon Rugby Football Club and that they basically have to balance their time so that they can both make their sporting commitments. So I think traditionally, obviously that was the case and I do have, you know, friends where that seems to be more an expectation um, or I guess more, a, you know, is are people more critical if, if women are actually taking time out to, to, to do sport rather than, you know, necessarily focused on their family. But generally, I would find probably in my circle, um, 
the the benefit of sport, whatever it is, um, everyone realizes. Um, and so actually it, it seems it's a healthier thing for the family if women are involved in sport. Mm. So, and I think definitely, absolutely, it is healthier for kids, I think, for women to be involved in sport, whether or not they're playing or coaching or they're sitting and, you know, and, and supporting their children on the sideline, because I think it's very important for boys as well as girls to see women in sport and, and that just being an absolutely normal part of their day. Yeah. So we're now going to sort of transition into the next stage, but as part of this work-life balance um, uh, theme, what I'll ask each three of you, what sort of baby steps for, for those watching and, and say, well, it's all right, you know, to say it's great to do sports. What are some baby steps people can take? Because it might seem overwhelming. Like I can't climb Everest. I can't join a rugby team or run a marathon. And that's true. And it's all about breaking it down into to small parts, isn't it? And then moving on to the next part. How, what little baby steps would you suggest for people to get something started or to get back into something or to stay in something they'd started and stopped when they left school or went to uni or started their careers? So uh, let's start with uh, Gail. I think there are uh, first, uh, there are very good solutions today, thanks to the app and the technologies. Uh, whether you are afraid to start, because you feel that you cannot run, start to walk, take a walk uh, across your block, take a walk in the hikes in Hong Kong, an easy one. There are multiple easy ones, very nice in nature. Just walk. And once you walk uh, progressively, you walk faster or you walk longer, do it at your own pace. Don't let anyone tell you what you do, what you should do or shouldn't do. Just uh, enjoy the time while walking. Uh, if you want to do yoga, there are multiple apps where uh, you have programs built in which go from uh, 15 minutes to uh, one hour yoga. You can start with 15 minutes. 15 minutes is uh, uh, five times uh, brushing your teeth during the day. I'm sure you can find the time if you want to do it. Uh, you can go into muscle building seven, uh, seven minutes up, seven minutes in a day. You just do some uh, uh, movements of your body and then you feel uh, progressively that you, you gain uh, strength, you gain confidence in yourself and uh, you want to continue or not. If it's not what you want to do, do something else. There's no, uh, uh, the objective is not uh, to necessarily uh, climb the Everest. The objective is for you to feel good into your body because uh, well-being is absolutely essential because we live in a life where uh, it is very demanding because technology is asking you to be uh, available 24 hours per day, seven days a week. And your own level of energy, preserving yourself is absolutely essential. So I would say uh, a minimum level of sports, a good nutrition is uh, already uh, fundamentals for a good health and a good uh, well-being uh, into your life. And that's important and you will feel good. So don't put pressure on you on what you need to achieve. Start with something that makes you feel good and continue it because uh, it makes you feel good. Very nice. Good answer. How about Kim? The baby steps. I think, I think as, as Gail said, start with something that makes you feel good. Um, start with something that hopefully you enjoy and doesn't feel like a chore. Uh, I think the apps, uh, there are a number of great apps. And I find at the moment, trying to find time in your work day is sometimes difficult. So earlier this year, I was doing uh, an online yoga app that I could get up in the morning. I'm not a person who naturally gets up at 6 a.m. just for fun, but um, but I would. I found I made time, so I would get up and I would do sort of this online yoga app at home because it wasn't a class. Didn't I didn't need to take the extra time to get there. It was much easier to do. And I think also I was at the stage where I was so unfit. I kind of wanted to do it at home where no one was watching me. Um, so, but that, that's the thing. It's about, you know, and I, my, you know, my, my son would sometimes get up and join in as well. And I think that was quite good. And, you know, the moment we try and do Zumba or just dance on Nintendo. So it's exercise, you know, something that, you know, is just getting more movement in your day. Um, on the team front, Hong Kong's a great place actually to do team sports because you know you can start, you can be you can be completely novice, you can be not particularly good, um, but it doesn't matter because here we try to get people into sport and you know and you, you know you need people to make up a team, so it's it's a great way of meeting people, um, you know 
don't you don't have to be a superstar and I think that's really important growing up in New Zealand I kind of felt like you had to be have natural sporting ability and I did not have that um, and it took a while to realize actually hard work and practice and training and commitment are actually really the fundamentals of a team sport so um, so really talk to people if there's a sport you like see if you know anyone who plays it you know hopefully not necessarily at the national level someone at your 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 level um, or if you're doing an activity and you think you need someone else to help, ask around if anyone wants sort of a training buddy or, you know, someone to just go along. Women particularly or and girls, you know, they they, you know, they do say we like to do things in a group, which is true sometimes. So, but you also like to do it with people who are about your level. And that's the thing. Look for people who, you know, who like you might be looking to get back into sport or or are already playing the sport you want to play. Um, and ask them, you know. What team do you play for? Is that a good team for you? Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just dance on Nintendo. Uh, I play that all the time with my daughters. I let them win, of course. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> they beat me every time. Um, I think, Ada, are you still there? Do you have any yeah, advice yeah, yeah, or, or yeah. little tips for the viewers uh, to, to, to help with balance, help getting sport and getting active, just baby steps, little things? Yeah, I, I think I share much the same with Daryl and Kim, but one reminder, yeah, we, we need to do the baby step is do sport that you really, really love. So I can't suggest maybe, I can't say running, cycling or whatever, but there's one suggestion uh, maybe for the start, don't uh, find a sport that can give you a lot of excuse. Maybe um, if find a sport you have to do with a team, and then maybe you'll say, okay, because they are too busy to do sport with me, so I can't do that. Or if you do some sport which needs certain equipment, and then maybe you find reason, oh, sorry, because uh, the, 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 the room, uh, the, the equipment is not there. This, uh, the, the shop is locked or whatever. I think uh, for uh, find a sport that you can do it yourself and very simple and very easy and you can do it at any condition, weather. Yeah, this is uh, maybe for the beginning, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good piece of advice. You know, don't take on something that is is just not achievable, you know, and uh, then you get overwhelmed and you feel like I knew I couldn't do it and your confidence yeah. might take a hit. So it could just be going for a walk at lunchtime with colleagues when the, when the weather gets cooler, starting out small, getting your step counts up. Um, and as everybody said, there's lots of apps out there. Okay, yeah. we're going to go into Q&A now because we've had some really good questions. So... I'm just going to pick a few that have been curated for me. Um, here's one from Gunakshi Kambal to Kim. I'm inspired to hear that, Kim, you started rugby at 29. That's the biggest mental block I probably have in terms of not feeling up to the mark physically to devote more time to sport. How does one overcome that? I think it goes back to your baby steps, Grant. I mean, the reality is well, if you're starting a new sport or – in my case, it was a sport I knew, but I just hadn't played. Um, you're only going to, you know, you, you take one step at a time. You accept that you're not going to be the superstar right at the beginning. Um, and, you know, you just, you do it because you love it, actually. You do it to your own personal challenge. So, and, you know, and each time you, you, you go and do whichever sport you are, you know, whether, you know, is it, is it that you want to try and do in rugby? Do you want to tackle better? you know do you want to pass better you know you work, you make up your own small challenges along the way um i once i had a great uh, speech from a woman who was an ultra marathon runner actually and she said she started because her husband said just go from lamppost to post from lamppost to lamppost around the peak and that and she did she just started running a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and then eventually you know she you know she went to Macau and ran a marathon, I think, won, won a marathon, I think, possibly the first time she entered. So it was, you know, amazing. So, but it's about your own personal challenge, essentially. So if you want to do it, just just work out what you want to do and, you know, and and, and just take small steps at a time. And um, 29's young, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is now when you look yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, what? it is. I think it took me 10 years before I had a serious rugby injury. So, yeah. So, no, 29 is a good age, actually, as it turns out. So, And I was probably my fittest in my 30s as a result of taking up rugby when I was 29. One more for you, Kim, from Mohammed Rafiq. Uh, who's your rugby hero? I would say my original rugby hero uh, would be a rugby player called Michael Jones, who plays for New Zealand. Uh, he was um, played at number seven. Um, and he's just an well, he's an incredible rugby player. But I think what I really liked about him was he was a player who, because of his religion, chose not to play on Sunday, which at the time was this massive scandal in rugby because, you know, you were meant to devote your whole, well, you know, your whole life had to be sport and you couldn't possibly choose not to play for the national team on a Sunday. Um, but that was his beliefs. And I think that was important as well. You know, you're... There is also balance in sport. So, you know, sport is not the be all and end all either. Um, and, you know, he is an incredibly humble person. And I think for him, if I had to choose a rugby hero, it would probably be Michael Jones. Um, but having said that, I would probably say that, you know, any number of people I have played with or against, actually, um, I, you know, they all inspire me. We've got a... Um, uh, uh, Samantha Fiosi, who um, was our, well, I guess she was, uh, for me, my my captain in rugby in that in, in uh, Valley, and also she works for the union. Uh, and she, again, just always amazes me uh, with her leadership abilities and how humble she is. So, but, you know, but she also leads on the field. And I think, you know, she was also probably, if I had to pick a female rugby hero, she would be mine. Yeah, cool. Portia Woodman. Um <laughs> Here's a question for Ada from Raphael Niemi. Uh, you mentioned giving up. Could you share how you are switching in your brain from keep going to I give up? I think uh, one of the main reasons is my student because uh, uh, I always share what I want to do with my student. And I always tell myself if I give up, then it will be a very um, uh, discouraging for my students. And actually, they all look at how I respond to all those challenges and failure. And I think uh, this is education. And I always tell, my, tell myself, if I can't do it, better not to promise. Because, yeah, so I think it's really important is my, my student, they always support me and they always encourage me. But of course, I can't say I never give up. I, I tell myself I've got uh, one very strong principle. I will not get, give up uh, whenever my body uh, can afford it. So I, may, I tell my student, don't worry. If because of climbing, I always have to face something really risky. So I tell my student, as long as my body can afford, I do it. But if my body fitness can't do it, I will give up. So I can't say without any condition, but because my student support, and this is the promise. Yeah. Yeah, very good. I had a question uh, earlier for uh, someone had asked me just before we went on to the event. So, the question was, as the Chief Operations Officer at Valley uh, Sports Club, with a diverse spectrum of male and female members across multiple sports, how would you describe the role of sports clubs in society? And this is a really good question. Um, I've, I've belonged with sports clubs wherever I've lived. I've lived in New Zealand, London, Denmark, Hong Kong, and others. And the first thing that I do, and most people do when they go to a new place, is they they try and find a, a sports club or a community or somewhere where they know they're going to meet a lot of like-minded people very quickly, building a support network and having fun. Um, so sports clubs are so much more than a group of teams that play sports. Um, in a club, you create lifelong memories and friendships, um, and they, they can't be replaced. They're different to the relationships you create in the workplace. Um, at Valley, we call it the Valley family, and we genuine, genuinely believe that Valley is a family. Um, Valley is the extension of immediate family. You know, we have a, half of our members are expats, the other half are locals. You know, Hong Kong is born and raised in Hong Kong. So for the expats, it feels like a, a new family um, that will look after them. We look after each other. 
Uh, we create sports networks. Uh, it's more than just a game. And, you know, especially also for our female athletes, I get a big kick out of seeing um, females, women, girls come to our club and take on sports they've never played before. Uh, and within a year or two, they are achieving things they never thought they could. They've learned new skills. They've made new friends. And that's what clubs do. We provide that platform um, where you can have the confidence amongst a group of people to, to try and, you know, push yourself a little bit harder. So we coach, we train, we upskill people. Um, that was that was that. I think those are all the questions we have time for. We've got about three or four minutes left. And what I'd like to do is just ask, finally, each of the panelists. Um, today's topic was the role of sport in women's empowerment. And I would like to ask you just to quickly summarize in about 60 seconds or less that theme, the sport the role of sport in women's empowerment. Uh, let's start with you, Ada. How would you summarize everything we've talked about? Um, I, I can't say uh, women empowerment for me. I think uh, for sport, empower everyone. And even right now, I tell my teammates, my students, if you want to have a really, really uh, strong mental health, you need to have a really strong body to carry all this uh, healthy and strong um, spirit. So I think this is um, everyone. I, I think for the sport and uh, uh, yeah, for sport, I think it's the role for everyone to face for the future challenges because we are facing a getting uh, demanding world uh, uncertainty and I think it's only a very strong body and strong health can help you to overcome all these challenges yeah yeah good points uh, Kim I think um, look sport the importance of health and well-being um, can't be underestimated particularly right now I think in women's empowerment you know if you consider that you know sport is I guess for some of us, we probably have felt at times it's a luxury in time. It's the fact that you can actually go out and, and do it um, means you are choosing to do something that rather than other things. And I think that's something that historically women didn't have that choice. They didn't have the choice to play sport. They had less choice about what sports they played. So uh, it's empowering for women to play sport, um, to get out there and be representing uh, in different sports. Um, on the corporate side, I think, you know, being involved in sport is great because it also provides you, you know, it, with a much wider network of, of people. And, and I think that's important. But really, it's for your own personal development. It's your own challenges, your own ability, you know, to learn your limitations and respect what you're not limited by. Uh, and I think it's that that I think sport is probably the most empowering. And again, as Ada said, you know, that is for both men and women, you know. Very nice. And Gail? Um, I would say, one, don't let anyone tell you what you can achieve and what you cannot achieve. Again, true for men and women, but we still are living in societies which tend to tell more women what they should or should not do. I think now it's your decision to decide what you, you want to do. And you do it at your own pace because it's your decision. And therefore, no guilt if you don't do it. It's just you define your objective. Then there were a few questions about when do you decide to stop? I would say in sports, you decide to sport when you are hurt and where you are so much hurt that you cannot move forward. But sometimes you are just slightly hurt and then you can continue to con you can decide to continue, right? It's your own decision. But if you break your leg while you are running, then uh, there's a high chance that it will be very painful to try to continue. So your decision, but I would say in sport, notably in the intense efforts, you need to set your own limits. Maybe that's when you are hurt badly, then you decide to stop. Otherwise, mental, you need to train your mindset, your, your mind to go stronger and deeper and to continue, even if it's painful. And I would say it is the same in life. In life, and notably in the work environment, you need to decide when you want to stop. My own way of uh, deciding when to stop is when the values are not anymore aligned with who I am and what I want to do. That's where I would stop. Otherwise, 
I would put all my energy and passion to try to contribute to the work environment with the best I can. So I would say in life, maybe the, your limit is the values. In sports, it's your own limit. It's when you are badly hurt and you cannot move forward. But all in all, it's your decision and it's for you to choose when, what you want to do, when you want to do it, at what pace you want to do it and how you want to do it. That's an amazing answer and it's really succinct, really to the point. As a father of three daughters, you know, that type of advice is the type of advice that we want to hear, you know, from leaders, from inspirational people, from parents, teachers uh, around the world, no matter the culture. Um, I want to thank all three of you, Kim, Gail, Ada, for today. Truly three inspirational guests. Um, and I think you've shed a lot of light on the empowerment that sport can provide women, girls, but everybody in sports and how that carries over into the workplace, the confidence, the resilience, and just the sheer joy of being part of something, using your body to do something, staying mentally, physically fit as long as you can. Um, and I hope that uh, the viewers have enjoyed it as well. Thank, thank you, you very much for attending and thank you for the good discussion. Grant, thank you very much for organizing all this. It was not easy in a distant manner, virtual manner, and you did very well. Thank you for this. Well, thanks very much. And also to, to Flora and Winnie and the Gender Diversity Network, SG for She at SOCGEN. And on behalf of all these people, the stakeholders, the guests, and myself and Valley Rugby Football Club, thank you for joining all around the world. Great having you with us. Stay healthy, stay fit, stay connected. Till next time, catch you later. Spot your life.